Hello, hello, fellow reselling addicts, because that is what we are. (laughs) This is episode number 87 of eBay the Right Way. Today's date is November 16th, 2022, and my guest is Dr. Stephen Gittler, who you may remember as the bottle cap seller from the $100 thread in the Facebook group and the $100 supersize sales video, the cover photo from the August 16th, 2022 video. A couple of very quick announcements. As promised, I am keeping the premium library students updated via this podcast. Last week, I added a fun lesson about vintage undergarments. Don't laugh. Did you know that some of these, a single pair of granny panties, can sell for over $200? There are keywords and characteristics about this product, and many collectors buy them. You might be thinking, why would anyone collect vintage undergarments? Well, it's like creating a time capsule, and some people just love them and the nostalgia. Not necessarily to wear, but to add to their collections. The lesson is about 20 minutes long, so you will come away knowing many things you probably did not know before. And remember to check the monthly updates page for what has been added, and links to the lessons. Also, don't forget to get your 2023 calendar available in my eBay store. This makes a great, unique gift for yourself or another reseller. Nothing else like it exists. And you can check the feedback on my eBay feedback page about the calendar, and all of my educational products from other sellers so you can see how they like it before you buy one. Okay, now let's meet Dr. Gittler. Hello, listeners. Today we have Steve with us, whose claim to fame is bottle caps. (laughs) Well, so far. (laughs) How are you doing this morning, Steve? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And thank you for coming on. Um, So let's go over where you're located. Um, I'm in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is about 15 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Okay. Okay. Well, you don't sound like a New Jerseyan. Well, North Jersey, it's probably more what you're thinking of (laughs) toward New York. No, I'm, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. Okay. Okay. Well, people tell me I don't sound like I'm from the South and that's because I've worked on it all my life not to. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can if I want to, I just don't. (laughs) Okay. Um, So New Jersey and when did you get started on eBay? Uh, I started on eBay in May of 1997. Oh, you started way before me. So what is the story behind um, what inspired you to start selling? Um, so story goes back long before eBay. I, w- I was already a reseller. Um, I was raised always going to yard sales and thrift shops and auctions with my parents. You know, that was just something we always did. 
Um, my, my parents were always collecting one thing or another. So we were always hunting for stuff and they were both uh, children of the depression. So they were always looking for bargains and secondhand things. You know, they taught me the importance of that. Um, my cousin and I started selling at a flea market when I was probably 13 or 14. I think we did it because uh, he and his father were downsizing after my aunt died. So he was selling stuff to clean out the house. And then my mom gave us stuff to sell. And then some other relatives gave us stuff to sell. And I would go trash picking and find things to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, we did a little bit of buying. I remember there was a grocery store chain that went out of business and they were liquidating everything. And we went in and bought like household stuff, like paper towel racks and birthday candles and nightlights, you know, mm-hmm. and we'd sell that stuff. Okay. And then what really got me into reselling beyond that was I started collecting Walt Disney memorabilia back in the 70s. Oh. And I joined some collecting clubs and you know, subscribed to some newsletters and all. And there were always classified ads in the back. You know, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. You know, remember that. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. And we'll send you a list. And, you know, I would order some of those lists. And some of them were pretty nice. And some of them were just a couple of handwritten pages of things they were selling. And eventually, you know, if you collect anything, you end up with duplicates and things you don't want. And I was like, you know, I could do that. I could make a mailing list. So in 1986, I started sending out a two-page mailing list, which eventually grew to be a 45-page catalog. Oh. Um, And I did that for a while. Um, Also, late 80s, early 90s, I started selling in person at toy and collectible shows, you know, where they would have a conference room and, you know, dealers would come and set up. Um, So I did that. Um, you know, a few times a year. And uh, then 1995, eBay came along and the chatter started right away. Mm-hmm. With, you know, oh, there's this new thing. You know, the dealers were talking about it. There were articles about it in the newsletters. So I got on eBay in you know early 97. And I remember the first thing I sold was a uh, Walt Disney World Epcot Center preview guide from 1981. So about mm-hmm. 16 years old at that point. And everything was auctioned back then. And it sold at auction for $17. And this is an item that if I had put it on my table at a show, I might have charged $3 for or $4 for. And here, you know, all of a sudden it went for $17 to somebody, you know, across the country. So it was clear that, you know, this was going to be different than, you know, depending on the people who happen to walk past your table at a show. Right. And, uh, you know, sure enough, over time, the the in-person shows gradually started dying out because the dealers started migrating to eBay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I stopped doing the mail order catalog, which I was probably losing money on in the end, but it, you know, it was fun and it was a way to mm-hmm. you know get out there. Um, and, you know, ended up doing more and more eBay and, uh, by, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, um, I was doing eBay pretty heavily. I was usually listing 10 items a day for 10 day auctions. Cause that was the standard back then. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I had a hundred auctions running at any time. Um, there was a there was a brief period in early 2000 when I was between jobs and I actually was doing eBay, you know, solely. It wasn't enough to replace my income, but it you know, but it helped. And uh, then you know, probably mid 2000s, late 2000s, you know, life started getting busy and our daughter was older and work was busy and I kind of got out of it mostly. Every now and then I'd get the urge to do it and I would put up a few items for a couple of weeks and then I would get get out of it again. Um, so there was there was a pretty long stretches of not doing it mm-hmm. and then uh what got me back into it now is uh last year last spring uh, a cousin of mine who we were very close to passed away 
and I was responsible for his estate. So I took a leave of absence from work and I spent six weeks cleaning out his house down in Florida. Uh, I sold a lot of things on Marketplace because it was bigger things, furniture and tools and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I sold a couple of things on eBay while I was there, but I didn't have all my packing materials and shipping and everything. So I couldn't really get into eBay from there. But when we were done cleaning everything out, we rented a truck and we brought a whole bunch of stuff home. You know, and I started listing all of that stuff and then started you know listing back in my own stuff, too, because I still had a lot of old stock. And then earlier this year, I started going to estate sales, which wasn't really something I'd done before, but I saw an ad for one in the development across the street from us. So I went to that, bought a few things, sold them within a few days. Uh, and I was like, well, I, I could do this. you know. <laughs> and uh, I've been going to estate sales every week since then and yard sales in season and the thrift shops and one auction so far. I haven't gotten back to the auction. So, oh, so that's, that's a lot so of, of uh, history. Yeah. <laughs> um, so can I ask what year you were born? I was born in 1964. Okay. So you're so two years older than me. So yeah, you were a, a teen in the eighties. Right. So you know, all that stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. I remember that whole mail order uh or if in the back of magazines, right. just uh, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. <laughs> exactly. We're really dating ourselves with that. <laughs> um, and you're a Disney collector now. Are you still into that? Um, we, we still have a very large collection. We don't really actively collect anymore. Every now and then we'll see a piece that we like. But uh, it's it's a pretty you know stable collection at this point. I've actually even thinned it out a little bit, gotten rid of some of the items that we you know we didn't weren't passionate about still having. So Disney's a very broad category. What kind of things do you collect? Everything, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> well, I know just the Christmas ornaments is is a oh, yeah. huge segment of that uh, collecting. Yeah, yeah. Well, D- Disney likes to flood the market. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll put, they'll put out one item and if it sells well, then they'll put out 10 of them. And if they sell well, they'll put out a hundred of them. Right. So, um, no, but we have everything. We have a lot of figurines, you know, a lot of old toys. Um, you know, I mean, everything from, you know, crystal and some artwork and uh, uh, a lot of theme park souvenirs because we go to Disney world regularly. So a lot of things from the parks and uh, you know, really a little bit of everything. Would you say that items are more valuable when they were made during a time that Disney wasn't intentionally creating collectibles or did they do that from the beginning? Um, No, they didn't. They definitely didn't do it from the beginning. Um, I I think with any collectible category, you're going to find that things that were made to be collected are never the ones that are of value. Exactly. You know, it's it's always the ones that, you know, were just put out as either utilitarian items or practical items, um, you know, kitchenware or, you know, that kind of thing, you know, with, that people, you know, or soap or, you know, something that, you know, they, they were made, you know, to appeal to people who like the items, but they weren't necessarily made to be collectibles. You know, if it, if it says collector's item on the box, you know, you probably don't want it. Yeah. And I love the way you said that because it, it is confusing when you're first getting into this and you're not a collector. You think, oh, like the Hallmark ornaments or anything, Coca-Cola. I always go back to that, right. um, you know, limited edition, collectible. Well, 
they can say limited edition all they want, but you know, when they make 5,000 of them, right. It's not really limited. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, now, I mean, it, some of the collectible things, some of the made to be collected things can be good depending on how they were made and marketed. Right. You know, if they say limited edition of 250 and you know, it's an item with pretty broad appeal, that's pretty good. You know, you might mm-hmm. look on eBay and at any time there might be one of them for sale, you know, and it gets a pretty good price. But if it was a limited edition of 10,000, then you're kind of diluting, you know, kind of diluting the market. Yeah. And I think you just have to look further when it says limited edition to see what does that mean? Because right. is it actually a numbered no, limited edition or it's, you know. Yeah. There's no governing body that says limited edition means X number were made. That right. is just a catchphrase that you can put on your listing if it's on the the box or whatever, you know, on the bottom of the item or whatever it is. So um, that's that can be confusing to non-collectors. Absolutely. And I'm glad you clarified that because um, it just means look further because you don't you don't really know what that means. I think Christopher Radko, that's truly limited edition stuff. Right. Um, at least in the early days when he made, you know, one ornament every year, you know, for that year uh, type of thing. So um doesn't always mean you've hit the jackpot. And, right. and now even I think uh, manufacturers are intentionally using those words, <laughs> even when that's not the case. They're not limited edition. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Radco. I just sold one a couple of days ago. I posted it on the Money Making Monday yesterday. Oh, really? I hadn't seen that yet. What was yeah. it? Uh, it? It was uh, Muffy Vanderbeer. Vanderbeer. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I picked that up in a state sale for $4, and I think I sold it for $65. So. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, those are great to find. Okay, so you've been plugging along doing eBay off and on for years, and um, now you're you're out there in the wild. <laughs> looking for everything. So we must hear the bottle cap story. <laughs> I figured you would ask that. <laughs> yeah, well, and and for the listeners, um, I guess it was a couple of months ago, you posted one yeah. that sold for like 300 and then another one that sold for more than that. Yeah. So um, I've been going to estate sales pretty much every week since February. And in June, I went to an estate sale. Um, and Good, good lesson. I actually got there late. You know, a lot of people think if you're not the first one in the door, it's not worth going to. Mm-hmm. Or they look at all the pictures that, that they show on the app. And if they don't see anything in the pictures they like, they don't bother going. Mm-hmm. Um, invariably, the things I sell were not in the pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's the things that the people taking the pictures didn't see value in. Uh, you talk about that all the time, the unusual sells, the, you know, the odd sells. Yeah. And it's like, I, I agree on estate sale uh, photos online. They show you the china and the crystal and the flatware and the furniture. And um, that's, I wouldn't buy any of that for, for my business model. Right. I like to see pictures of, you know, this basement with just boxes and boxes of stuff and you can't exactly. even tell what's in there or, um, you know, just, just little smalls shoved everywhere in, you know, bookcases and closets. And um, I'm zooming in on the pictures, like looking for stuff that I recognize. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, this estate sale started at nine in the morning. Uh, We had an appointment that morning. So I got there about 1130. 
Um, it was the house, and then they had this huge garage. It was like a almost like a farm garage, ten car, you know, big garage. Oh wow! Tractor trailer full of stuff on the property. Um, so I went in the garage. I ended up spending two hours picking in this garage because it was just packed, um, just wall to wall stuff. Oh, that yeah, that's like a dream come true. Right. And it, <laughs> it was all old stuff. You know, it was all stuff from the forties and fifties and sixties. <gasps> So, um, so I got there about 1130 and a couple of times, you know, I made a, several passes in and out of the garage because I was taking stuff out to pile up, you know, outside that I was going to buy. And I kept, you know, I, I had seen the box of bottle caps. It was in like a wooden fruit crate. And, you know, I kept, you know, going back and forth and getting other things. And then finally at the end, um, I was outside with my pile and I, you know, I called the cashier over and paid for everything. And I said, oh, there's one other thing I'm interested in in the garage. There's this box of old bottle caps. You know, I said, I, I don't know if I want them all because it looked like there were a couple hundred in there. And, and before I did that, I had looked up a couple and I saw a couple were selling for like $8.95 or $12.95. And it's like, oh, there's got to be, you know, there's got to be like 300 caps in this box. You know, if I can get 8 or $10 for a few of them, you know, I'll, I'll make some money if I can get them for a good price. Mm-hmm. So she came in with me and like I say, I, I go to their sales every week. So she knows me and I had already bought a bunch of stuff. So she looked at them and by this time it's like one 30 in the afternoon. So many people had been through this garage and uh, I think it was a one day sale. So she said, give me $10 for the box. So I paid $10. I took the whole crate home. I figured, you know, it's $10. Um, came home. I started looking through them. A lot of them were the same, but there were a bunch of different ones in there. So I picked out a few that were interesting looking, like, you know, kind of nice graphics or something unusual looking. I put one on eBay that night for a $9.99 auction. And uh, the next morning it already had a bid. And I was like, well, that's unusual. You know, eBay auctions don't usually get bids right away. And uh, that second night I put two more up for auction for $9.99. So almost right after I did that, somebody messaged me and said that that Fink's cap that you just listed, don't take any offers on it because it's worth a lot. But if you want to sell it quick, I'll give you $50. I said, you know, thank you for reaching out. I appreciate that. I'm going to let the auction run. Mm -hmm. uh, I never take offers on auctions. I had forgotten to turn it off on that one. Um, and I knew if he was offering me 50, it had to be worth 100. So the week goes on. Thursday comes the first uh, bottle cap that I listed and sold for 157.50. Okay. Um, which, you know, obviously we, we were surprised by that. Uh, second night, uh, the other two end, the one ends for 83.99. And the one the guy messaged me about ends for 609.99. <laughs> and you thought, oh, it's probably going to sell for 100. Yeah, no, well, it's going to sell for six times that. Right. Um, <laughs> Well, he, uh, the same guy had, we had been chatting throughout the week. He was kind of educating me about bottle caps, which I appreciated because I didn't know the first thing about them. Um, he said <laughs> that the last time that particular cap showed up, there was a batch of them that had been removed from a piece of folk art. Like they were hammered onto a frame and they uh -huh. all had a nail hole through the center. Oh. And mine was, you know, practically mint condition. So I was like, so is this the first time one of these has come to market? He said, yeah, as far as he knows, this is the first one, you know, that has turned up without a hole through the center of it. So um, during the week, he said, you're probably going to get $300 for that cap. You know, once he saw how things were going and he talked to some of his friends uh -huh. um, and it ended up selling for twice that.
and then of course, you know, I sent a second chance offer to the person who bought the $157 cap and they bought another one for 140. And then they bought four more from me for 150. And then a couple of weeks later, I sold another of the $600 ones, which went for 365. Because only the first one's worth 600. As soon as the collectors find out there's a bunch of them, you know, that have turned up, you know, the value drops pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and at this point today, it's probably now a hundred dollar cap because, you know, several of them have, have hit the market. But, uh, um, you know, I bought those in June and, oh, and as it turned out, I was thinking there were like 300 caps in the box. There ended up being about 1600 caps in the box. <laughs> I hadn't really looked that deep at the at the sale, but but the crate was like 12 by 16 and they were about four inches deep. And I bet that you're going through every single one at this point. <laughs> yeah, we sorted them all and I've you know I've been selling them little by little. I did a couple of bulk sales to a couple of collectors um because I didn't want to be selling bottle caps, you know, for for eternity. Well, uh, I mean, if they're gonna sell for that much, why not? Yeah. Um yeah, I'm, I mean I just sold uh, a couple two weeks ago. I mean, I'm I'm putting you know putting them out periodically. You, know, you can't right. dump them all at one time because then the value uh, the value. Well, that, and that's what another seller said is when you have something like that um, that you know is valuable and you have multiples, don't do a multi quantity listing. Right. Just throw one out there, see what happens, and then you can either do second chance offers if the price is really high, or just wait and let the market kind of come to equilibrium again and then put it out there because you don't want people to to know you have 10 of them. Right. That's your secret as a seller. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I I did sell some in bulk and, uh, but I still have, I still have a whole box full of them and little by little, you know, I'll I'll put them out there. They're, they're easy to list, you know, picture of the front, picture of the back Mm -hmm. ship, obviously. Yeah. Do you ship them in something that weighs three ounces or more so that you can get the insurance and it's not, you don't just put it in an envelope, do you? Yeah, no, I, I've been putting them in uh, like a little jewelry box and then oh, a perfect. envelope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause something like that, if you just put it in an envelope, like a letter, it doesn't no. you have tracking and yeah. um, you kind of have to you know, at least put three ounces on it. So it's considered a package. Yeah. I'm sending it as first class package. I know, you know, I'm just saying that for the listeners, because I get that question all the time when they're selling really lightweight items. Um, you want to, you want to do package it in a way. So it's three ounces or more, or at least just put three ounces on the listing so right. that they get tracking. And um, cause yeah, losing a $600 tiny item in the mail would not be great. No. <laughs> Yeah, it got shipped as a package and got insured. Have you uh, kept up with how much you've made off off the bottle caps? Uh, about four thousand dollars. Oh, really? Yeah. For a ten dollar investment? Yep. Ah, oh, that's fantastic! It's just like you just never know what you're going to come across we, out there in had, the wild. I had no idea when I bought them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because you you explain that in your your posting on the hundred dollar sales, you're like, I don't know anything about this. Right. <laughs> Good for you. Well, circling back to the Disney items, what Disney item have you sold for the most? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, I still sell some Disney stuff. When I started, it was almost all Disney stuff. Um, 
but uh, I don't think I've had any really big Disney sales. I mean, certainly under a hundred. I don't. I don't think I've sold anything Disney large. But I, I was always more into the small things. Mm-hmm. And because I used to sell in-person shows, you know, you could sell, you know, $3, $5 items, you know, at your table. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't do that on eBay because, you know, the shipping kills you and the fees kill you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of $20, 30 $50 items, you know, I I can't think offhand of anything over 100 that I sold, you know, from Well, Disney. I have a, a quick Disney story. Um, this is my highest selling Disney item. I went to a garage sale that was in the neighborhood I was living in. And I just um, was leaving that day to go somewhere and passed it. And they, they really didn't have very much. They just had, you know, like one table with toys and they didn't have very much. And I was like, well, you know, I'm right here. I'll stop and see what they have. And on that table were two Disney snow globes. One was the Little Mermaid under the sea with all the multiple globes on it with all the valuable one (laughs) yeah and um there was another one i can't remember what it was um it was much smaller but still uh about 20 years old and they were in the boxes with the styrofoam and everything that's the best way because they had had like 20 dollars on each of them and you know being the negotiator i'm like well i'll give you 30 for both of those you know, I had to get some kind of deal. Right. <laughs> so, and I was like the lady on the Ikea commercial. Start the car! Start the car! Woo! Don't, don't anybody notice. Just don't, you know, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Um, <laughs> and I sold the under the sea one for about $250. And then I sold the other one for at least 50 I think it yeah. might have been Cinderella or the princesses or something like that. And they sold very quickly. And I just, I could not believe, you know, a few houses down from me, I found this, this was in somebody's house and they just pulled it out for their garage sale. And it just, to me, that's just opportunity is everywhere. You just don't know what's going to show up in front of you. And, you know, obviously the more, you know, the more successful you're going to be. But um, yeah, that was, I think I found an ornament one time, a Christmas ornament I sold for about 50. So um, yeah, but I tell you what, I'm so glad that snow globe with the multiple snow globes on it was with the original box and the styrofoam, because that would have been, and then I double boxed it. I put it in another box with lots of uh, packing material and it arrived perfectly fine. And the person was very happy, but um, I was like, Oh, that is, that is an added bonus when it comes with the original packaging. And it's such a fragile, cumbersome item to ship. Yeah. I I have one. I have a a sleeping beauty snow globe that I've, I think we bought it for ourselves, but, you know, I've been trying to sell it, but I've been trying to sell it on marketplace because I don't have the box and, you know, it's got a lot of delicate pieces and there's no way it's going to travel, you know, get there in one piece. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, they, they used to sell those at the Disney stores when those were big and half the time, if you would look at the one on the shelf, it would be broken because they had so many little delicate pieces or a wand or a wing mm-hmm. or something, and they would just break off from being handled in yeah. the store. Yeah. Very fragile. And, that's a good point to try to sell that kind of thing locally. Yeah. 
Um, you know, you mentioned opportunity all around. Something I learned about just recently is there's an app called Freebie Alerts. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. Um, it's a consolidator app that that consolidates all the free listings from Marketplace, uh, OfferUp, Trash Nothing, and a couple of other sites. So um, if you install the app on the phone, you know, and set notifications, you know, you set your filter for distance, and anytime somebody posts anything for free, you get a little notice. And uh, I've actually gotten a number of things that way. I just installed it about two months ago, and I've already gotten a number of things that I have resold and and are currently selling. Uh, because, you know, people give away all kinds of things, you know, people throw out, you know, all kinds of things when they're cleaning out a house or, you know, moving or somebody died or whatever, and they just don't want to deal with it. So at least they'll post, you know, curb alert and, uh, you know, you'll look and, you know, there there might be one little box or a couple of things, or it might be the whole curb is lined with stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm definitely going to check that out. Is it free? It's free. Yeah. So they probably get you with ads. Um, yeah, it's really not bad. I mean, there, there okay. are ads, but I mean, they're, they're not, they're not like pop-ups that are disruptive. So is it like GPS based where you put in your zip code? Yeah. You put in your zip code and then, you know, if you want 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles from okay. your location. I'm um, definitely going to try that. I love that idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I live in a, you know, pretty not congested area, but you know, well, well populated area. So, I mean, within 10 miles, I've got, I've got everything. Um, actually 10 miles happens to include Philadelphia. I wish I could filter out Philadelphia because I only <laughs> want, to, want to cross the bridge and pay the toll just to go. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but we, it, it, Philadelphia happens to be within our 10 mile radius and that's, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've picked up a number of things, you know, I picked up, uh, you know, somebody posted the other day, you know, a curb alert and I could see in the picture that there were some DVD like box sets from a TV show. Oh, so I, went yeah. over, I went over there and it turned out not only were there box sets, but they were all sealed. So, um, ah, yeah, nice. they had like they had all the seasons of a show. The first season was open; all the other seasons were sealed. So they must have bought them all, started the show, not liked it, and, right? And were just tossing them out. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned um, people giving away stuff, and I want to just comment on that because as resellers, you know, we see dollar signs on everything. You, right. that's just something that's programmed into us, I think, because that's just the first place my mind always goes <laughs> is well, what's the money situation here? Whatever, whatever the situation is. <laughs> so it's like, um, we don't understand sometimes like, why would they give all this away it's, it, when it's worth so much? And it's, um, either they don't know because they're not a reseller or they don't care because, all they're thinking about is getting through whatever it is, the reason they're giving stuff away, you know, they have to move, the moving truck's going to be there or, um, you know, it's an estate where they're, they're cleaning it out. And it, I mean, it takes a long time, as you know, to do that. Right. So um, the moral of the story for the listeners is um, don't assume everybody knows what you know or even cares that they're giving stuff away. I mean, I've done it. I just moved and I, I went to Goodwill every day for two weeks, just, you know, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take that. And not just thinning out my inventory, but my own personal belongings. And um, so that's how this stuff ends up out there is, is people just don't have time to deal with it or they don't want to. Yeah. No, I mean, I've done it myself, uh, you know, 
we've had, you know, a couple of yard sales in recent years. And, you know, I said that at the end of the yard sale, whatever doesn't sell is going to goodwill because, you know, we were trying to clear space. So, and, and I've done that, you know, I mean, locally, uh, you know, a lot of times on Saturday night, uh, people will post online, you know, all this stuff is free. You know, we had a yard sale today, you know, here's all the stuff that's left, you know, come and get it if you want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Let's talk about your your eBay business. Do you work another job, or is eBay all you do? Uh, no, um, I'm a uh, I'm a family practice physician. Um, I was in practice for 24 years, and then about six years ago, I switched to urgent care. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Back uh, last November, a year ago, I went part time, um, and uh, this past August, I went per diem. So I now work I work like eight hours a week, eight or twelve hours a week. Um, so I had always, you know, kind of joked that eBay would be my retirement job. So I'm, I've been kind of easing into retirement and, and ramping up my eBay business in the process. So we need to call you Dr. Gittler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're the first doctor I've had on my podcast. <laughs> That's interesting. Did the events of 2020 help you ease out of that, uh, industry? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was full-time urgent care at that time. So we were, we were totally frontline uh, dealing with that, um, you know, which was very stressful. I mean, I've been in practice for 30 years and had never seen anything like, you know, working frontline in a pandemic when we had very limited information, uh, not knowing what was going on and, you know, people all around me, you know, coworkers all around me coming down with COVID, you know, left and right. Uh, I managed to avoid it then. So that was my next question: Is did yeah. you did you come down with COVID? No, as, as far as I know, unless I had an asymptomatic case, I, I've managed mm-hmm. to avoid it. Um, my wife and daughter both had it, but uh, but recently, so you know, it, it, after vaccines, and we knew everything about it. So, so as a physician, do you what do you think about the like online doctor's appointments where you you get on Zoom and you have a virtual appointment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's value in them. Um, our urgent care started offering them uh, for COVID screening specifically um, because most of the time, you know, if people had, you know, kind of routine mild cases of COVID, they didn't really need to be seen. They just needed to, you know, somebody to take a look at them, make sure they were they were not unstable. And and we now offer urgent care telehealth uh, for, for a variety of things. And if they feel they need an in-person evaluation, then they tell them to come to one of our physical sites but a lot of things, a lot of you know, minor things they're able to treat uh, without a, an in-person uh, visit, which patients love. Yeah, yeah that's, it's convenient for everybody. Um, where'd you go to medical school? I went to Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine in Philadelphia. Okay. So I graduated in 1990 and did my family practice residency. And then I was in private family practice for 24 years before I switched to urgent care. In oh, wow. Okay. So you were doing the Disney collecting, um, going to the trade shows and all that while you were in medical school, uh, medical school, internship, residency, uh, all, all that time. That's kind of like East meets West, <laughs> like two very different worlds colliding <laughs> very much. Okay. Now are you, um, is it just you in the household or you have family? Um, I'm married. Um, my wife and I have been married for 30 years and we have a 27 year old daughter who lives with us. Okay. Are they involved in the eBay world at all? Um, not, not in selling. Uh, my wife will, you know, come along when we, you know, sometimes when I'm sourcing, you know, we'll go to the thrift shop or, you know, 
she came to the auction with me or you mm-hmm. know, occasionally to the estate sales. Uh, my daughter is not really involved at all. She'll occasionally mm-hmm. give me something she doesn't want anymore to sell on eBay. But... Of course. <laughs> yeah, you're like the the goose that lays the golden egg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you have a, a lot of um, backstock, dead, death pile stuff that's not listed? Um, yeah, I mean, there's always some, uh, you know, I've been on a you know 20 year effort to clean out our garage, um, <laughs> which is a never ending, uh, never ending thing. Uh, we have a lot of Disney items that we've collected over the years that aren't displayed, you know, that are kind of packed up in the garage. So I try and get through those and see if there's ones that I don't really want anymore, you know, so I'll sell off some of those. Um, I still have some old stock from you know, when I was doing the shows and all. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of them are smaller items uh, that are a little hard to sell on eBay unless you can like lot things up and sell, you know, five or 10 of something mm-hmm. you know, like Happy Meal toys and those kind of things. You know, you know, there's only a few of those that are really of value. You know, I, I've, I've tried putting up, you know, 30 Happy Meal toys for, you know, 1999 and you can't even move them that way. So some of that stuff will eventually have to get donated. Yeah, it's like um, Beanie Babies and all those things that, again, were made to be collectible. I think when they first started, some of the Beanie Babies were in the Happy Meals. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a couple of series of uh, the mini ones that were in Happy Meals. And I don't know if those are worth anything or not, but it's, it seems like whatever the first wave is of any kind of collectible, that's that's what you want is that's going to be worth the most. And that goes back to the limited edition thing. Cause a lot of times the first wave, they won't make as many, and when they see how, how well they do, then they make a second wave of, you know, 10 times as many. Right. Disney did that. Disney, the Disney store did that years ago. They put out a set of collectors watches. There were six watches. I think they like released them one a week for six weeks. And if you bought all six, you mailed in your receipt and you got a seventh watch. Ah, but I think, I think the first edition was like, a thousand watches and it sold out in you know a day or two you know the series sold out so of course you know six months later they came out with a new series of five thousand watches and that one eventually sold out but it took a little while you know it didn't sell out overnight like the first set mm-hmm. and then they came out with a third set that i think was ten thousand or fifteen thousand and they never got rid of those yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay um let's you want to talk about some of your other sales other than bottle caps and uh, Disney? <laughs> sure. I know you um, sell all kinds of stuff. I sell all kinds of things. Um, I, I made a comment on the Money Making Monday post yesterday. I said, I'm, I, I love how absolutely random the things we all sell are. It's just like complete randomness when you look through all the posts. Yeah. And today I'm uh, making the seller shout out video, which is, is just that is like no price point. And I look for things that are just like, so random, like, you know, we all know about certain items to look for, but then you just think, really that sold. Why, why does somebody want that? And that's where my mind goes is like, what are they going to do with it? What do they want that for? Um, but I mean, as far as other sales, um, uh, until the bottle cap sale, my highest sale up until then had actually been from like 2000, you know, when I was doing it, you know, years ago, I went to a yard sale and they had all the stuff out on tables in the driveway and just inside the garage, they had one more table with some boxes underneath full of stuff they hadn't put out. 
So of course I went picking through the boxes um, and the, there was a display model of a cruise ship, like from a travel agency mm-hmm. you know, ship on a wooden base with a plastic case. And the, the case was cracked. You know, I bought it for a dollar. I came home, put it on eBay uh, for auction because everything was auctioned back then. I don't remember what I started it at, probably $10. And it sold in a week for $213. <laughs> you know, and this is 20, you know, 20 some years ago. Right. You know, that would be a nice sale today. It was a really nice sale 20 some years ago. Um, so again, it's the stuff that, you know, even the people having the sale didn't see any value in. They didn't even take it out of the box. Uh, more recently, um, I went to an estate sale and uh, I had gone all through the house, already checked out and realized that we entered the house through a sun porch and I had never looked at the porch. I had, I had gone straight into the house. So out on the porch, they had bookshelves lining the walls and there was this uh, collector set of Agatha Christie novels. So I went back in and I said, how much do you want for all of the Agatha Christie books? I don't know how many there are. And she said, let's start with a dollar each, go out and count them and come back in and tell me you know, how many there are and we'll go from there. So I went out with, and we counted, there were 65 of them. So she mm-hmm. gave me the 65 books for $50. Mm-hmm. And I did one listing, you know, one choose your title, you know, drop down listing. And they just started flying off the, you know, off the shelf. Uh, within a few weeks, I had sold, you know, about, you know, probably 40 some of them at like $10 a piece. And, uh, you know, that was a couple of months ago. I've now sold 57 of the 65. So I spent 50 and I've made like $520. Oh, that's great. Um, and it was simple because, like I say, I made one listing. I just had to type out all the titles. Mm-hmm. And just stick them in a padded envelope or, or a box because most people are buying multiples. Uh, they're buying six and eight at a time. And uh, so, you know, don't don't overlook the books. Were they hardcover? They were hardcover. It was a collector set that uh, Bantam Books had put out. So they were all bound the same. They were all in this nice uh, like blue leatherette binding with gold embossed titles. Um, I think they were put out in the in the 90s. Um, I don't, I don't know how many do, were set. I mean, I got six. I'm sorry. Did you do a multi-quantity listing with the different titles or are you listing all of them separately? I, I did one listing with a choose your own title uh, for $10 each or uh, $9 if you bought two or more. Okay. So, you know, 10% off if you bought two or more. Yeah. And most of the people bought, you know, two, three, four, six, eight, you know, I had several people who bought, you know, seven or eight at a time. Yeah. And people ask this all the time when they find sets, you know, should I sell it as a set or individually? And I'm of the belief that individually is better because you've got all these people with incomplete sets that are trying to, you know, complete them. And you're, you're probably more likely to get a whole bunch of $10 sales than that one big sale um, of all of them together. And what a shipping nightmare that would be for 60 something books, right? Shipping all those together. <laughs> yeah. When I had looked up the comps, I mean, there were a bunch that were sold in lots, but they were small lots. They were like eight or 10 books uh, because I guess, you know, that's what they had. But I was like, well, I've got, I've got 65 of them. I, you know, I don't think anybody's going to want to buy the 65 books, you know, I'll put them up as a lot. And then maybe, you know, when I get down to the end, like right now, I think I have eight left. I, I might just take down that listing and put up the lot, of yeah. eight, you know, just to finish them off. Just, just for the stragglers that are still there. Right. That makes sense. Um, okay. Another, what else you got? Uh, another good recent sale, which I, I also posted to the group. Um, I went to a sale in September 
I was going to say last month, but I guess that's November now. Um, <laughs> and I bought, uh, I, I had seen in the app, one of the times I actually bought something that was in the pictures, um, they had two sets of Lionel trains they were selling. And I don't usually get trains because they usually get snatched up by the first guy who go, goes through the door. Um, there's, you know, the train guys are, are usually pretty aggressive and, and you know, they'll be first in line to buy them. But for some reason, they weren't at this sale. So I had actually bought a, gone to another room to get some glassware uh, before. And, and then I asked someone where the trains were, if they were still there. And she said, oh, yeah, they're over in the corner in a bin. So I went and I looked at them and you know, opened them up and they, they were in great condition. And they had a sign on them that they wanted 250. I offered them 200 and they took it. Um, I got home and I posted on my personal Facebook page if anybody had an O gauge train layout because I needed to test a couple of engines, you know, because I, I wanted to know if they worked before I listed them. And a friend of mine uh, responded and said, the hobby shops have test tracks where you can just take your train in and they'll tell you if it works, which I had never thought of. So I went over to a local hobby shop and uh, they tested both trains. They both worked. And I took video of them running uh, when they tested them. Oh, very smart. So I put up the first listing for the more valuable set uh, with, you know, 11 pictures plus the video. And uh, I priced it at $5.95, which I thought was kind of high, but I wanted to leave room for offers. And it sold the same night for full price. So, oh, Nice. And then I listed the other set, which was a smaller set and not a not as desirable, but you know, still very nice. Uh, I listed it for two ninety nine to you know leave room for for bargaining, and it took about two weeks. And I actually sold it two days ago for two twenty five. You're just like you have the Midas touch, <laughs> <laughs> or you just know what to look for after all these years of collecting. Well, like I say, I, I, I I've been going to yard sales and auctions and thrift shops and antique shops since, you know, since I was a born basically. Right. Okay. What would you say like the oddest thing is you've ever sold the strangest or weirdest? Um, back in like 2000 time when I, I when I was selling regularly, I, there used to be a couple of auctions that I went to and, you know, you would buy box lots of things. And uh, I bought a box lot that had some old medical uh, equipment in it. And I was probably the only one in the room who knew what any of the things were. Ah, right. Um, and there was a um, an electric cautery unit that they use when they're doing surgery mm -hmm. to cauterize the wound. Um, and it was probably, I mean, I was familiar with them because I had one in my office, but you know, the one in my office, you know, this one was probably 40 years older than the one I had in my office. Mm -hmm. uh, so I sold that. I don't remember what I got for it, but I got good, you know, I, I got good money for it. And I paid like $5 for the box lot. Um, and there were a couple of other medical things in there, um, you know, that I sold. Um, I don't even know if you're allowed to sell some of those things now. Yeah. They keep getting more strict with that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was certainly unusual and, you know, obviously $600 for a bottle cap is pretty unusual. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's everyone's dream. What, what about advice for other sellers? And I mean, you have a lifetime of doing this. Uh, because I hear a lot from people that they're scared to get started or they feel like they don't know enough. Um, what would you say to them? Um, I mean, I, I think for the people who are just getting started, you know, it, it's kind of advice that you give regularly is to, you know, just start with stuff, you know, start with stuff around the house, um, start with stuff that, you know, is easy to list and easy to ship. 
You know, you don't want your first thing to be, you know, a China cabinet. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, st- start with easy stuff and cheap stuff and, uh, you know, not the super fragile stuff. Um, take a little time to learn about shipping. You know, I'll, I'll see posts online, you know, I just sold my first item. What do I do now? You know, mm-hmm. how do I ship it? It's like, well, you, you needed to answer that question before you listed your first item. Or um, before you buy it to right. list it. It's like, I do yeah. that all the time. Hmm, that that would sell for a lot, but do I really want to fool with that? Yep. Yeah. I do that all the time. Then I go over to the accessories bin and find some gloves or a hat that I can sell for $50. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, you know, gradually expand, you know, we always say sell what you know, but that also means keep expanding what you know. Um, you know, look through the eBay listings, go to go to an antique shop, look around, see what things are selling for. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to buy anything because they're selling full price, but but see what kind of things are out on the market and what kind of money they bring. Mm-hmm. Um, so that if you see one of those things at a yard sale for a dollar, you'll say, hey, I, I saw this at the antique store for $50. Um, and you'll know you can make some money there. You, you know, know, in 10 years from now, it's all going to be different. Well, some things will be the same, but more things are going to be older. And um, so it's just a constantly moving target of values of things and what to sell um, because, you know, things become popular based on trends and, you know, fashion trends, home decor trends, you know, five years from now, there's going to be trends that we've never heard of yet. So it's, it's staying in the know on all that um, so that you can recognize these things because I guarantee you every single seller, I don't care how long you've been doing it, how many things you've sold, you're walking by stuff because you've never had experience selling that item and you just don't know. Right. So yeah. And, yeah, uh, you know, last... oh, go ahead. I mean, the, you know, the other thing I, I mentioned earlier with things like estate sales or yard sales, you know, don't think you have to be the first one there. Um, you know, you can get there late and find good things. You know, a lot of estate sales are two or three or four days long. Sometimes you go on that last day, the thing that was you know, priced at $50 on the first day is now priced at $10 because nobody bought it at $50. Um, and, uh, you know, don't think that if, you know, there's nothing good in the pictures, you shouldn't go because they don't show what's in the bathroom cabinets and they don't show what's in the basement. And, you know, I mean, I bought bought bars of soap, you know, that I've sold. I think these estate sale, I guess you would call them marketers, the one that that put together the pictures to go online. They're using their knowledge of what sells for the most at estate sales. They're not putting that together for eBay sellers. And we're two different. It's two different markets, I think. Um, because like we said, you know, we want rooms with boxes full of stuff that you can just sort through and find treasures at the bottom. And the estate sale mindset is more like, um, you know, they know their brands, they know their types of items, their vintage items, and they're maximizing that um, rather than, I don't know if you get a certain number of pictures on those estate sale sites or if it's unlimited or if you have to pay more, but some of them only put up like five pictures and it's yeah, I mean, it really varies. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if they have to pay for more, but I mean, sometimes there'll be 20 pictures. Sometimes there'll be a hundred pictures. Sometimes there'll be 400 pictures. So it, it, it really depends. Um, I don't know how it works on their end if they pay more, but, uh, but I do the same thing as you. I'll be looking at the picture of the China, you know, the, the fancy China piece to see what's in the background Yeah, you know, that, that, that they didn't put in the picture. Yeah. yeah I do that all the time. Like on TV shows, I'm always looking in the background. Um, and there's so many now that are true crime that took place in the eighties and seventies. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're buying these props on eBay to use when they film these, um, they used to call them mini series, but I don't know what they call them now. Like Hulu has something about true crime and it's five episodes. So, um, and the clothing, the home decor, the cars, just everything is, you feel like you're in that time period. They've done so well, but they have to get this stuff somewhere. Yeah, I've never sold anything to a prop department as far as I know, but I see those posts all the time. Well, but you don't know, um, someone could just be buying it under their their name. Right. They, yeah, they that's what I said. as far as I know, it. I haven't, but I, I maybe I have. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to mention, um, you know, because obviously we're all on social media. Um, the other piece of advice I would give is that people need to ignore the negativity on the social media. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, I see so many posts, you know, eBay is dead. There's a recession. Nobody's buying anything but necessities. I love that one. Because if you look at my, you, you look at what I'm selling, there, there's not a necessity among them. Um you know, no, nobody needs a, a $600 train set or a $600 bottle cap or a $200 figurine. Um, but I love the post that say, you know, my sales are slow because eBay's dead and nobody's buying anything but necessities. It's like, just, just ignore those people. <laughs> and I don't think that's in my Facebook group. No. Because we don't even allow that. No. <laughs> um I know there's lots of other groups that are not moderated as far as the negative comments. Um, yes. And people just love to do a pile on with that. You know, they just, you got eight to 10 people talking about, you know, woe is me and ain't it awful. And it's just, that's not going to accomplish anything. And um, that's why I do the videos I do with showing what's sold because right. these things are selling, you know, and you can't, you can't dispute that when you go look at completed listings, you know, those things really sold. Um, I will never agree with eBay is dead because um, I think it's a recession proof business because um, okay. Yeah. You need some new jeans. Do you want to go to old Navy and and pay 30 bucks or do you want to get them on eBay for 10 or, you know, whatever the item is, you know, clothing is pretty much a replenishable it does wear out um, and we all need it. <laughs> so, um, and then the definition of necessity is different among different people. I don't think a $600 bottle cap will ever be a necessity, <laughs> but some people have plenty of money and that's where they put it is into their collections. Right. And I mean, they're not yeah, going to stop doing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, even in bad times, even during the depression, I mean, the movies did well, you know, because people wanted, you know, needed some entertainment. They needed something light. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's adding a special piece to their collection. They may not have a lot of money. They might not be able to go on vacation this year, but maybe instead of spending a couple thousand on vacation, they spend a hundred for something that they really like that, you know, brings them some joy when, when times are tough. Yeah. 
I totally agree. But as far as the the negativity posts, um, it always occurs to me, like when I see that, that, okay, here's this person sitting on Facebook, complaining and whining about their problems. They're, why are you listing more items? Why aren't you out getting more stuff to sell? Why aren't you focusing on your business rather? And it, you know, some people just want attention. They right. just love to complain. That's, that's their way to get attention. And then other people just put their blinders on and just ignore all that and keep going. And those are the successful sellers. Just, you know, stay out of the weeds, I say. <laughs> right. Well, people say, well, I'm selling the same things I've always been selling and they're not selling well now. It's like, well, that's a sign that you need to start selling something else. Yeah. yeah. Change is good. Yeah. And entrepreneurs in general, the successful ones, they're always looking for that next idea. Like, okay, you recognize this isn't working anymore. Got to do something different. And I think fear holds a lot of people back. You know, they stay in their comfort zone. Of, you know, I've always sold XYZ item and they don't, they don't want to try something different because they might, it might not work and then they'll feel like a failure. And if you just do what you've always done um, and stay comfortable, you know, the new new things is where we grow. When you do new things is where you grow. And um, I know personally, I've sold so many different types of items over the years. It's like, oh, that's not working anymore. That's not working anymore. And you have to be willing to just explore the unknown and see if it works. And if it doesn't, then you just check that off, go on to the next thing. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we certainly all have failures. I've certainly bought things that didn't sell or, you know, didn't sell for anywhere near what I thought or didn't sell at all and ended mm -hmm. up, you know, going to, back to Goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you prefer the estate sales to the thrift stores? Um, yeah. I mean, this year I, I really got more into the estate sales and I like yard sales. Um, yard sales, I, yeah, I, I know you've talked about how you don't want to drive all over town, you know, for one or two sales. I, I try and I try and stick to when there's a community sale. Right. The whole neighborhood is having sales and I can just drive up and down the street and in, in the course of a few blocks, you know, hit, you know, 30 sales. Um, you know, that way it's not, you know, I, I, I won't go way out of my way just for one sale. Right. Yeah. I need to get back into that and refine my process a little better, but I did get frustrated with spending an entire Saturday morning and just not finding anything. And it's like, well, you know, there's three thrift stores near here. They're open till eight. Right. I can go there. They're full. It's full of merchandise. Um, so I would just kind of <laughs> say, yeah. you know I, mean, I, I, I do the thrift stores too. I mean, not on a regular basis. I don't do them, you know, weekly, but I certainly do them too. But, you know, as we've talked about before, prices have been rising at the thrift stores mm -hmm. and, you know, the estate sales are kind of like the thrift stores. It's a house full of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not one table in somebody's driveway with a few right. things. You know, it's it's a house, you know, they're literally selling everything in that house, every drawer, every closet, every cabinet, you know, every piece of anything in that house is for sale. So it's kind of like, kind of like walking into a thrift shop where, you know, you get everything from, from clothing to kitchenware to collectibles to tools to, you know, electronics, you know, you get everything in one place. And I think uh, estate sales, you have the power to negotiate. Absolutely. And thrift stores, you don't usually. Right. Um, I've tried, you know, it's like, oh, there's an entire tub over there of trial travel size 
uh, toiletries? You know, can I have that whole container for, you know, 10 bucks or whatever? And it just depends on the store and the manager and all that. Usually Goodwill does not negotiate with you, but if it's a smaller, maybe one location thrift store, um, like a church thrift store or whatever their charity is, um, you know, they're more willing to, to negotiate on stuff. Yeah. So, um, but you do have that power at estate sales. Which right. is- and the estate sales vary. I mean, that's, that's, I, I would mention that too. I mean, in, in my area, there are multiple companies that run estate sales. It's important to go to a couple of sales of each of the companies in your area because they're all a little different. Some of them are much firmer on price. Some of them negotiate more. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of companies that I've checked out several times and I just won't go to their sales anymore because I just find that they're, you know, they price everything high and they don't negotiate. And there's other companies. It's like the bigger the pile you make, the better your prices get. Yeah, I think that's important. You have to explore your options and start, you know, checking off. Okay, nope, not doing that one again. Not doing that one again. And gravitate towards the ones where they'll negotiate because they they want to get rid of it. I mean, I know they they have a process for the end of the estate sale, whatever they do with all the leftovers, but um, they'd rather have some money than none at all. Right. Okay. Well, we have been going an hour and that went by fast. So um, any final words? Um, Thank you very much for the opportunity. This was great. Uh, I enjoyed getting to meet you in person. I mean, I'm relatively new to the Facebook group. Um, Yes, you are. (laughs) um, But, uh, you know, I I love your show and the videos and, uh, you know, certainly uh, look forward to, to seeing more. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy semi-retired day. <laughs> I think retired and semi-retired really means busier than ever. Oh, busier absolutely. than when I had a job. Absolutely. <laughs> so now it's, it's time to have fun. And it sounds yes. like you are. <laughs> thanks for coming on and we'll see you on the Facebook group. Thank you. Bye. I love, love, love seeing semi-retired and retired people getting busy with eBay. It is such a fun way to spend time and you can make money doing it. Today's trivia question, since Dr. Gitler talked about Disney, where did the word Epcot come from? What does it mean? Here are five seconds to think about it. Okay, the word EPCOT is an acronym for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. It was an unfinished concept for a planned community developed by Walt Disney and designed by Walt Disney Enterprises in the 1960s. Its purpose was to be a real city that would never cease to be a living blueprint of the future, drawing on the latest technology and innovation from American industry. The community was intended to be a major component of Disney's Florida project, a massive property of undeveloped land located near Orlando, Florida during the 1960s. Epcot was to be a utopian, autocratic, 
company town completely controlled by Walt Disney himself featuring commercial, residential, and industrial and recreational centers connected by a mass multimodal transportation system based on ideas stemming from modernism and futurism it was designed to replace the infrastructure created by urban sprawl that was going on in the United States in the 60s, needing the flexibility and independence to establish and maintain his own specialized, personalized government. Walt lobbied in the Florida government to create what became the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Way more information than you needed to know. But the concept was abandoned by Walt Disney Productions after Walt's death in 1966. And interestingly enough, there are some similarities between Epcot and the Lost City of Atlantis, including the circular shape, the water around it, and other features. There is speculation that Walt Disney's vision of Epcot was based on Atlantis. Okay, next week, my guest is Holly, who lives in Delaware, and you may have seen her on the Facebook group and some of her amazing finds. And we had a real fun conversation because we realized that uh, she lived in a suburb of Atlanta where I grew up, and we would have gone to the same high school if she hadn't moved away. (laughs) You just never know what you're going to have in common with somebody until you start talking to them. Thank you again for spending the last hour with us. And yes, I am stealing this phrase. Thank you for the privilege of your time. But it's true. We have so many distractions in our lives today, and I really do feel it is a privilege that you all choose to listen to my podcast week after week, and it's an honor to be your hostess and see the audience consistently growing over time. So really, thank you for supporting this podcast by tuning in every week. Okay, that's it for this week, and make sure you have a fun day on eBay, because if it isn't fun, what's the point? (laughs) Talk to you next week. Bye.